friends. Of course, I go by the name of the kid, famous. You and now tuned into the Tim and Friends show. Hello, education, entertainment, coast to coast. Ball it up, call it entertainment. Let's get this started. Uncle Tim, let's start this show in five, four, three, two, one. Let's go. What in the good name of Hawk and Lube was that last night in Calgary? Entertainment at its <laughs> finest. <laughs> it, That's it, what was, it, was. it was entertaining unless you are a coach yeah. of either team. <laughs> yeah, then guys, it was not guys, entertaining or a goalie yeah. on either team. Last time we saw the Battle of Alberta, it was the 90s, and they played like it was the 80s. Fire wagon hockey, Jesse Rubinoff, Canada. That thing had more twists and turns than Buck Showalter's drive to the park. It took me an hour and 20 minutes to get here today. I was close. <laughs> when the when that waves or whatever starts screaming at you, I changed the voice today because that one gotten, was getting annoying. You missed your turn. My kids sometimes change it to some of these voices they know how to put on there. The guy with the English accent is really pissing me off. <laughs> Very smug and like, missed it again. <laughs> now there's some, uh, what is uh, my daughter, because my, one of my grandsons likes uh, Cookie Monster, that guy. Yeah, they, they put you, you, can't, you can't get mad at the Cookie Monster. <laughs> Buck seems like a guy you'd like to have a beer with. Oh, no doubt. Once. No, no doubt. Um, how many, what percentage of people do you think actually have the voice controls on or voice commands on Waze? So I, I'm sorry. Oh, you, yeah, that's, that, the voice commands just pisses me off. But when you're in spots where you don't, don't know really know where you're going, you kind of sort of need them. I'm with you on dangerous. that. You don't want it to be dangerous and like constantly looking. So I get that yeah. point, but I think it's a lower percentage than, <laughs> I think Buck's in the minority there. <laughs> That uses the voice command? I know, yeah. I, I bet you there's people out there that don't know that you can turn off the voice yes, command. Yes, it, it popped up on me yeah. uh, a couple days ago. It really, really annoying. It was annoying. Once this, you stop using it, it's bad. This you is an MBN. This is, a, this is a must be nice. <laughs> I used the voice communications in Italy once because mm. the roads are so tiny and there's no city planning in Italy. What they did was they had these cities thousands of years ago, and then they built up around these cities. So sometimes there's like one-way streets that's like two feet after the yeah. previous like one-way street. Yeah. And if you don't have the voice, command, like <laughs> I was going crazy. My wife was like, you need to just take a couple deep breaths, okay? Yeah. It'll figure it out after. When you're a tourist, you gotta do it. <laughs> you gotta do Recalibrating. it. Recalibrating. Yes. Recalibrating. Recalibrating <laughs> yeah. is the worst. My wife would always just turn to me and go, we would suck on the Amazing Race. <laughs> that could be your next. That could be your next career once you're. Uh, once you're oh done no, I couldn't. I'd have Ray's to. voice it might, it might be you. Yeah. It might be you because my wife and I would end up in right. a voice without a doubt. Fair so enough. the Battle of Alberta, of Alberta, excuse me, begins with the bang. Kevin Bieksa and Frank Saravelli will join Jesse and I over the next two hours of whole grain goodness. So will Kenny the Jet Smith after the Warriors stomp Luca and the Mavs in Game One. And some breaking news around game two, Celtics and Heat, which includes maybe the quickest COVID recovery on planet Earth. All of all time. <laughs> we yep. will explain with Kenny the Jet Smith coming up. And also on day one of the PGA Championship in May, which still kind of feels weird. No? Yeah, but it, I like the majors going back to back to back to back to back like this. It's and like, it doesn't feel go. like the PGA should have been 
batting cleanup right. in all of the majors. You know what I'm saying? It's the least important. Yeah, yeah. I, li- I like going across the pond and finishing I'm with, you. With, the, with the British Open. Yeah. Uh, we'll get to the first round highlights from the PGA Championship with the one and only David Faraday. That's right. He's bringing his tour to Canada. And because of it, we got lucky. We will take it. Some great guests. Without further ado, from your humble narrators, let's get to Jesse. First things first, so give me the plan, Mio Shatan. All right, what a game in Calgary last night. 15 goals, two in the first minute, a crazy comeback. Fired up fans, bad blood, a hat trick. Game one between the Oilers and Flames had just about everything except maybe defense. The Flames coming away with a 9-6 win to me. Uh, Let me flip the script on you. What in the good name of Lanny McDonald happened last night at the Saddlebone? (laughs) It was the first time in 31 years we've seen this rivalry. Lanny was jacked up. Canada was jacked up. Alberta was jacked up. And the first time in 28 years that we have seen 15 or more goals in a playoff game. Somewhere Ken need Ken Reed, excuse me, needed to call a doctor after four <laughs> hours because he was excited as hell. That is literally Ken Reed hockey. And all I kept thinking, Jesse, was the Flames have to win this game. They have to win this game. Because could you imagine having to face Daryl Sutter? After blowing a four-goal lead at home. You'd be so scared. Like, literally shaking in your skates. Like, I would not want to go into that dressing room. And they did. Mm-hmm. Like, they did blow. I mean, they won the game. But they did blow the lead. Two of them. Two. It was 6-6. And I don't know what I was more shocked at. Was Miko Koskinen being the best goaltender <laughs> in game one? I did not have that on the bingo card. <laughs> Or that after the Oilers battle back from 5-1 down or 6-2 down, whatever you want to say the biggest lead of the game was, both four-goal deficits, after they got it to 6-6 in the third period, how does Rasmus Anderson get that wide donkey open in your zone to score the goal to go up 7-6? I can't fathom a team that had just done what the Edmonton Oilers did in the second round of the postseason, pulling back from four goals down mm-hmm. to allow that goal, to, like the very thing that put you in that spot, happened again once you got back to even. Like, I was absolutely gobsmacked. The Oilers don't play like the Flames. They're not as good defensively, but it certainly felt like a, a departure from what Jay Woodcroft has brought to this team, which is defensive structure, right? It was absolutely a departure, and that's why it was so jaw-dropping. I tried to use a different word because I used jaw-dropping way (laughs) too much. Well, it was, though. Fairness to you. You can keep using it. How? How could you do that? Like, you just... And Koskinen played well enough to keep you in the game, kind of, sort of. In single digits. (laughs) Well, he kept it to six through two periods, and it was enough to get you back. Like, everything that you did to get back into that game, and you revert to the very same things that had kept your team out of looking good enough to be considered an actual contender. Like, that's, that's the most shocking part of this, is that this is... The Oilers' history, and it's not Jay Woodcroft at the helm with the Oilers' history. This very team, this very year, has had terrible starts. Yep. And they did it again. And they did it against the Kings. 
And you would think that you would learn eventually from that. Okay, so you don't. You have another terrible start. They score 2-51, the fastest two to start an NHL game in the playoffs in history. Then you allow a third. Then you find your way back to 6-6. Somehow, after down four goals, and you do the exact same thing. Like, I don't know, but I, I might be showing that tape. Repeat. I know there's people out there that say, burn it, flush it, yeah. Like, get rid of it, don't watch it again. These are the same mistakes that the Oilers have made repeatedly. And you have to be better than that when you get back to 6-6. So if you're on the Oilers bench, if you're Jay Woodcroft now, and you play like that, you have the horrible start, like you said, and Jacob Markstrom has one of the worst games we have seen from Jacob Markstrom maybe in his career, let alone as a Calgary Flame. Like, are you discouraged because you know that he's probably going to play better in game two? Well, Woodcroft said... Six should be enough. Right. It like, should be enough. We thought the four should be enough. Remember yeah. when the four was enough? Yeah. Remember when the six should be enough against Jacob Markstrom? There, there might be, and listen, there are a lot of people that pooped all over our idea that Nylander scoring a couple of late goals might mean something mm -hmm. moving forward, and it absolutely did mean a little something moving forward. They had success, right? And I believe that scoring six goals, even though you were vastly outplayed, may give the Oilers confidence that they can score against this team. Right. And sometimes it is about confidence. Now, you got to shut the door at the other end. Mike Smith's got to be better, right? But the fact that they got six may mean something here moving forward. You lost game one. It was ugly. But it, it just might mean something given the way Markstrom play right but Mike Smith was terrible too horrendous he plays game two though right yeah yeah, yeah. I, he, he looks the way he plays too he's so deep in the net it looks really bad when he struggles too like he, he was he was bad but it, it looks particularly bad that uh, first goal what, like he looked like he was waving at yeah, it like, like when I first learned to catch a fly like ball. he wasn't ready like he just didn't show up that's what it looked like he was just yeah I hate still listening to the anthem I hate that didn't show up because uh, I think that they're professional players and yeah. they are there. Just a bad goal or two or maybe three, depending on how you look at that. Mm -hmm. So 15 goals in the game, obviously. 18-11 uh, to 11 is what the Flames have outscored the Oilers in their last two games, including the final matchup yeah, nine during nine. the regular season. Yeah. So even the, given the way that Calgary focuses on defense, are we thinking that this is actually going to be a higher-scoring series than many people would have thought? You might get an adverse reaction from both coaches to that first game and see the complete opposite in game mm -hmm. two, or you might think that the Edmonton Oilers think that's the way to beat them. Like, we're not going to beat the Calgary Flames in a 2-1 game, so we need to open it up. Yeah. But ah, I can't see that being the case. I think you're going to see, I think you're going to see both coaches button it down <laughs> for game number two. But like, that's the type of game that I think Edmonton wants, no? Like, I don't think they want to play 2-1 games in this series. No, not at all. Uh, I think they're probably really encouraged by the fact that Connor McDavid continues to dominate. Four more points last yeah, night. That's ridiculous. Like, I know we talked about it earlier in the day. Like, he's just, he's gotten himself to another level here. And, and we did, we went on Bet Rivers yesterday, and you said it was a high bar to get two points in the game, and he ends up, he ends up with four. Four. Like, to be even ridiculous. money at two points and then blow that out of the water is amazing. It's like, look at those numbers. The, the numbers are ridiculous against the Flames. They're ridiculous in the postseason. Mm -hmm. And 
it is possible that what we're seeing here is the best player on earth take it up a notch. And he also led the team in hits in that game. So you look at the points leaders, you look at the way he's done it, you look at what he did in game six and seven against the Kings, I, I, we might be seeing the best player on planet Earth take it up another notch. And to do it with Leon Drysaddle at less than 100%, and everyone knowing that Leon Drysaddle mm-hmm. is at less than 100%, like tip of the cap to Connor McDavid. I don't know what it means in the grand scheme of things, like if that'll change the series, but I don't think I've ever seen him play better than he's been playing in the yeah. last little while. And when you say special players, special plays on special days, dear God, he is doing that right now. For it not to be enough, though, in game one is a real shot to Concerning. that. Yeah, so the he, Peter Klimas. he was one of the three stars in the hockey game. I, I would argue the fourth star of the game, probably Brady Kachuk, who is just becoming an internet sensation by his celebrations. Are Sens fans, should Sens fans have any issue with this? All right, just one guy sent a tweet, right? Like, that's what happened here? He, exactly. One guy sent a tweet, and everyone's like, as the youngest of four boys, I have absolutely no problem with this whatsoever. I can't imagine, like if we put out a poll, it's 90% have no problem with this and the rest don't have any siblings, right? Yes, you're right. I actually went through, we put it out on Twitter and there's like 400 responses to it and I still haven't found one that said they had a problem with it. Like Like, not not one. Not one. Not one. No. So the original tweeter, and I'm not here to blow him up in any way, shape, or form, but he's getting ratioed, right? Yeah, yeah. I think he he probably backtracked a little bit. I'm not sure he was trying to stir it up uh, in the way it sort of happened you don't think he was trying to stir it up no i think he was just trying to you know make a point that uh, it's odd right to, to see a captain but it did not go that way by the I, way it, did, it didn't go that way by the way keith kachuk doesn't need to throw his hat either while no. we're on the kachuks keith those are like 28 dollar hats those yeah. are like 40 dollar hats to be honest he doesn't need to throw it this is my hat and i'm keeping no no why would you throw your hat on the ice at an nhl hockey game like yeah, it's just gone, go forever. donate it to your favorite charity after the game in these oh yeah you can get it from the lost and found which the producers uh, aptly pointed out um you can get it from the lost. yeah they collect them and then they go to the lost and found i thought they collected them and they went to charity well that's probably a better cause anyways but you know don't throw your hat man inflation you seen the inflation numbers these days you go expensive to, for a hat. You ever go to Lids? Yeah. I go to Lids is one of my stops like at every mall. It's 50 bucks for a hat now. You, they're like 50 bucks a hat. You're going <laughs> full, full back hat. You're looking at 50 bones. What are we talking about yeah. here? And they're, they're not know, throwing that on the ice. And they don't have our size a lot of times. No, either. that's that's they correct. Should, it should yeah. be a premium to get yeah, those suckers yeah. too. So right? if I'll, you know what, next time I'm I'm at a game where there's a hat trick. After I'll go and donate forty dollars to my favorite <laughs> charity, save ten bucks on the hat, <laughs> move on. It's ridiculous. Uh, what a game! Just an amazing. amazing I'm glad game. Keith said no. Yeah, <laughs> me too. Uh, Kevin Bieksa and Frank Cervelli coming up uh, later in the show. Uh, just an amazing game. Can't wait for game two. Uh, for now, let's go to the Blue Jays, which is a little bit of a downer when you put it up against the. Not an amazing game. Yeah. Uh, they dropped the finale against the Mariners last night, five-one, blowing an opportunity for their first sweep of the season. And it was with Kevin Gossman on the mound. But after a tough road trip, the Jays did get their first series win in more than two weeks. Is that progress to me? No, and you knew it when you were asking the question. I'm sorry that that was the question and the phrasing on it. You, you already said the Kevin Gossman on the mound. You blew an opportunity. Right. Like, that's, that's a bad one. And you know me. I'm, I'm Mr. 162. It's a marathon, not a sprint. You are going to have ebbs and flows. It's going to be a roller coaster ride. Another team beats you over 162. 
I'm okay with that. That's going to happen. We just saw the Baltimore Orioles beat the New York Yankees on Sportsnet. That happens. Jays beat themselves last night again. The bats aren't going in 0-4 with runners in scoring position again. again yeah. Second worst in Major League Baseball. Their runs per game, 23rd in Major League Baseball. They've scored three or fewer in 19 of 30. They've scored in half of their games. They have scored three or fewer runs. Teoscar getting picked off at second base. Like, that's just sloppy baseball. And to me, listen, I don't know if it's urgency this early in the season. I don't know if it's guys don't care. I don't know if it's guys are having too much fun. I just think it's sloppy baseball. And you got to tighten up the hatches. Whatever way that is, if you're not swinging the bats, you can't make mistakes. If you're smashing eight runs a game, go ahead, go get picked off second base. But in this situation, with this games, I, I feel like they beat themselves last night, and that I don't forgive over 162. Yeah. That's what will get you eight games behind a division leader. And listen, more people are making the playoffs. There's more time for this to iron out and for the Jays to get on the right side of this. But for me, that's like what? at least two in the last week where you and I have come on here and said, man, that's a little too sloppy. It just, yeah, it just doesn't feel like they're playing good baseball. Right. Like, in any real fast. Without the pitching, they would be in some significant trouble and, here. And there is some sloppiness and offenses down across Major League Baseball because of the shortened spring and all of that stuff. But, man, it's not fun watching sloppy baseball. they got to iron it out now because they have an easier schedule coming up. And obviously they we will, have, though. We have to, yeah, they will. But and they, you already saw that. We have talked about how difficult their schedule has been. Now is the time to start really winning these series. Yeah, and up. if you end up at the end going against the Reds and Mariners 5 of 6, okay. But there was an opportunity to go 6 of 6, yeah. right? Like, yeah. And that's, those are the games, as we saw last year, when you look back and you go, ah. So, Dan Showman yesterday, you brought this up to him. Uh, Juan Soto's name has been uh, okay. thrown around about. about. And uh, on social media, some Jays fans are asking, could the Jays actually trade for Soto? Okay. Maybe should they trade for Soto? Okay, what so do you th think? This one's so against what the Jays front office is about, which is sustainability. Like, I think we have a better chance of me growing my hair back than Juan Soto being a Blue Jay. Well, but it got, it got me thinking. Like, what would it actually take to get Soto? And two, could Rodgers possibly have enough money to keep Bo, Vladdy, and Soto long-term? And if you do with this rotation, like, you're playing for a World Series almost every year, right? Yeah. As long as you have this rotation well, in set? Well, as long as the rest of the lineup figures it out. No, you've got three guys that can literally smash balls at any time. Yes, if you have Juan Soto in this lineup, you, you would a think that, that they should win every World Series for a while, maybe back to back to back. So, like, you're talking Moreno, Martinez, Groshans, plus, like, a Lourdes Gurriel? Or, like, sending Bo in the deal with Martinez and Moreno? Like, everyone who's saying they should go out and get Soto, they know that's the cost, right? Yeah, the differentiator is can you subtract from your current lineup or can you get away with just doing all prospects? Like, do you have enough of a pipeline? You know when they say sell happen? the farm? Yeah. You would literally have to sell the farm. Every good plus, prospect you have. Plus putting in Lourdes Gurriel or someone like that.
Yikes. And, and never mind the fact that he's already getting $17 million a year and turned down $350 million. He turned, could that threesome get you to a billion dollars? And I'm not kidding. Could Bo, like that's what people are, I guess Bo's not in that same league, maybe another year. Not yet. If he got there, but Vladdy's looking at a $300 million deal. Soto already said no to 350, so you're up to like 700 Half a billion dollars. Over no, you're at like 700 with Bo and excuse me with Vladdy and Soto. If yeah. you got him, like this fantasy baseball thing that people are doing right now, I don't think they're really thinking it out. That is wild. It's uh, a lot of money. Um, okay, let's go to the NBA it's quickly. A ridiculous it's a ridiculous amount of money. The NBA, uh, Luka Doncic. Yeah, man. Not a great game for him. Uh, the Warriors handled the Mavs quite easily. Luka was held to 20 points on 6 of 18 shooting and was a minus 30 in the game last night as the Warriors take game one. Luka looked bang up and tired at times. How do you explain his struggles? Did we just see Andrew Wiggins' best game as a pro, like eight seasons in and scoring 19 points offensively? Was that his best game as a pro? That's what's being asked right now. He hounded Luka into looking average. And I think if you were to talk about or talk to people about Wiggins, they would have said the book is he's inconsistent, he's not a good defender, and maybe that he didn't care. Think of that book, mm -hmm. then listen to these dudes who have won three championships and what they said about his game last night. Last series, uh, he demonstrated that he's he's ready for this moment. Game one, he uh, he stepped up, so I'm happy for him because whatever eight years in, this, in in the league, this is his uh, this is his moment. That's why he was the number one pick. You can't teach that athleticism. You can't teach that length. You can't teach uh, his timing. He is. Uh, I'm just happy the world's getting to see who he really is, and that's. An incredible wing player and he will be like this for the next 10 years i thought wiggs was fantastic um you know Doncic is as difficult a cover as there is in this league he did a fantastic job so uh wiggs is just a a huge part of our defense and our team i thought he was great offensively as well so great night for andrew it was a great night for andrew and he said after the game i feel like i'm still young I don't really get tired, I'm locked in and I'm motivated. And when you see it work, or I feel like it's helping us play better, it motivates me to do more. When you see it work, mm -hmm. that to me, you know we always talk about culture when yeah. it comes to basketball because of the Toronto Raptors? When you see it work, that might be the like ding, ding, ding moment for Andrew Wiggins because it didn't work. And when it doesn't work, you don't get the same buy-in that you do on those great championship teams. So either it was Andrew Wiggins and wonderful defense or the picture that circulated of Luka Doncic and Boban <laughs> was actually true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what did they say? Were they trying to defend that it wasn't They said it wasn't taken day? that yeah. day. Well, he played like it was. I'll tell you <laughs> that. <laughs> There's no proof that that was taken anytime. It's such an NBA thing to have a picture like that. You got so locked up. Still to come. Kenny Smith that had a game two between the Celtics and the Heat. We'll talk about Andrew Wiggins a little bit too. David Faraday on round one of the PGA Championship. Frank Saravelli from Calgary. And speaking of, Kevin BX joins us next to discuss that wild game one. Tim and friends on what we call Friday Junior. Ah, uh, the Battle of Alberta. Scores! Kyler Yamamoto! And the game is tied! Well, they don't call it the Wild West for nothing. Oh, that is empty. Kachuk! 
He's got the hat We waited 31 years and we got more than our money's worth tonight. Blocked out in front by Troop has been on a long time. They score! Ian Cole, Carolina wins game one in overtime. Curry cuts, Wiggins free to fire. Curry puts on the brakes and puts up a three. Oh, he hit it again! The Golden State Warriors have taken a one game to none lead in the Western Conference Final. Welcome to the 104th PGA Championship. Making it look easier. Four straight birdies. I don't cheat and I don't lie. So I learned that when I was a kid. If you did, the old man slapped you side of the head. Maybe somebody should have slapped him. It's Tim and friends, and maybe we should do this. Year four of NHL Power Players, a league initiative focused on selecting young hockey fans ages 13 to 17 to advise the league on the future of the NHL. You can apply now by visiting the link on your screen. Go get it, kids. More Power Players on display tonight in the Stanley Cup playoffs. It all gets going at 6.30 Eastern, 3.30 Pacific. Hockey Central on Sportsnet. Then it's off to Florida for Game 2 between the Lightning and the Panthers, followed by Game 2, Colorado and St. Louis. Got it good, and since you understood, from the NHL on Sportsnet and Hockey Night in Canada, our Eastside Mario's expert, Kevin Bieksa, joins us now from the fancy studios. What's going on, Bieksa? How are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I got Brown on today for you, so there's no references. Is there? To oh, so. yeah. I saw it from far away in a distant... And I thought maybe we were doing Eastside Marios again, but not we won't. Today. Not, not today. We're but. fresh. We're not today, fresh. botch. All right. <laughs> Are we going to see another game like we saw last night or what? Like, is, is the reaction to last night coaches in the, in the room today going, that won't happen again? Well, I don't think 9-6 will happen again, Tim, but I think you will see goals in this series, and, and I think the offense feeling good about themselves early is a good sign for the fans that it's going to be entertaining, but... I, I think if you look at Edmonton's game, boy, was it ever loose. It was really loose real early. Like, minute in the game, and it's already 2 nothing. And these are, like, that great A from Ajapani and, you know, some of the turnovers, like, even on the first goal, like, it's a bit of a knuckle puck. And it just seems like nobody was really ready to play. And if you watched warm-up, we kind of, like, made this comment. If you watch warm-up, everybody was really loose, and they're skating around, and they're having fun. And... It was almost like a mental exhale after like grueling game sevens that are super high anxiety and stressful. And then it's like, I use the analogy, like, did you ever play uh, Super Mario Brothers when you were a kid? Yeah. yeah like some of the young kids coins. listening to this are like, what the heck is this guy talking about? <laughs> but for people in my age bracket, like Super Mario Brothers was the best. You know when you're down to one life and you're like so tense and nervous and you don't want to make a mistake and then you get that green mushroom and you have <laughs> an insurance man. life yeah. and then you're like jumping over everything yeah. and you speed up. Like yeah. that's kind of what happened last night. The guy had like four <laughs> new lives with their second round and everybody was just all over doing whatever, playing real loose. So, so what's the response to that from both teams in your mind? Well, I mean, Calgary, I think a lot of their problems were, like, I think there were goals that could be stopped. Right. Let's put it that way. Without, like, Markstrom, I think, has been their best player all year long, right, consistently. Mm -hmm. I think he's not going to be like that next game. I, he just can't. He's too good of a player. But Edmonton's problems were defense. It was wholly all over the place. They didn't pr protect uh, the net in front of Mike Smith very well, so he couldn't even really get going. So he's going to start game two and, and look for them to be a little bit tighter and, 
as much as Edmonton wants to run and gun, I think, you know, they can't give up that many chances to Calgary because they can clearly put pucks in the back of the net as the, well. The one that shook, uh, shook me the most was the seventh. I know this is weird to say, but the seventh goal. Like, you get it. You're down 5-1, 6-2, whatever you want to say. You get it back to 6-6. And then Rasmus Anderson is that wide open along that right flank. That, to me, was egregious. And look at his uh, reaction. That's agree. It's kind of like it, it's such a casual reaction to score the goal head goal in the third period. This, so this made it seven to six. Yeah. And in the back of his head, he knew there's at least going to be a couple more goals scored in this game. He he didn't think that that game was over. It's it, you put a seven spot on, you get a touchdown and an extra point conversion. Usually you think you're going to win, but at that point he didn't even feel safe the way the game was going. I guess that was the line from Sutter after we didn't get the convert. Uh, all right, so from seven to eight, the Kachuk goal where he comes out after the coincidentals with Kane. You knew about this rule immediately, I've been told. And is it because you were the guy that was told to stay in the box? Yeah, so we're, we're sitting watching the game, and, and Elliot's kind of like getting all these messages about why did, why did Kachuk come out first when Shillington was in there technically first in the scrum and all that. And I said, well you have a choice as a team. And he goes, what? And, and he thought I made it up. And I, I mean, I can understand why. I make up a lot of stuff. But <laughs> it, it sounded made up. But no, like I just remember from being in the box, you know, how many times? Like 1,200 minutes. And, and people saying, like, who's going out first? And I'm like, well, what do you mean? Like, why am I deciding this? Or like, well, somebody on your team has to decide. And, and usually it doesn't get to the coach. It's like the coach or like I think in the rule book it says the captain. Well, like the person in the timekeeper's booth, they're not going to go and like ring the buzzer and ask. They're just, they ask the two guys in there. So it's basically right. who's the best arguer in the penalty box at the time. I didn't lose that battle too often. <laughs> oh, so you were out first a lot of the time? All the time. Yeah. Especially as a defenseman, right? Well, like most right. of the time, like I I, help. My, my minutes were probably – the highest or near the highest because we're defensemen, right? But, right. you know, unless it was like Hendrick Sedin or, or right. Ryan Getzlaub, it, <laughs> it would usually be like, have a seat, bud, I'm up. <laughs> Did you ever get a, a breakaway stepping out of the penalty box in that situation and then look back at the guy? <laughs> I only got one, one breakaway that I can remember in my career. It was against Boston, in Boston. Yeah. And that's the only time. Every time you're in the penalty box, you're just dreaming. Right. You're watching the clock <laughs> countdown. You're like, this could be the time. This could be the time I get my breakaway. I got one in Boston, and I scored, and I don't think I can remember getting another Snipe. one. Snipe. Uh, the Flames were really physical with McDavid. Did you like that? I did. Yeah. I did. And I thought L.A. tried to be physical with him as well. But, you know, it, it was a good point made. Ron McLean made a good point yesterday. Well, like, Mikey Anderson, uh, Dersey, yeah. um, you know, like, Edler's the biggest guy. But Stetcher, Spence, these guys are not big guys, right? So they can try to be physical. But Connor's like 6'1". He's probably around 195. He's actually pretty strong on his feet. He's really strong on his feet. So those guys couldn't really do what you're watching right now and actually throw them to the ice. Like Zadorov and Gabranson are monsters. Right. Lucic just steamrolls them, right? It takes big, strong guys like that. Like, look, Connor was on the offensive for the most part in this series against L.A. And in these scrums, he could handle himself. You're telling me that he's going to do okay in a scrum in this Calgary series? No chance, right, with how it's big this team same, is? Yeah. So, it, I mean... It slowed him down to a certain degree. He still had four points. But I think as the series goes on, like if they keep doing that, you have to think it's going to take its toll on So did you like Kane stepping in for him a couple of different times? Or did you think that Kane was distracted by attempting to step in for McDavid a bunch of times? 
Uh, I don't know. I, that's a weird question. I think uh, <laughs> I like it. I could be I, both. Yeah, it could be both. Like yeah. we don't know what his real intentions were, but I like it. I think Kane should step in because I think that's why they brought him in. They brought him in to have that, to be that sandpaper. And when the game gets physical and these series get physical, yeah, he scores goals. They need that for sure. But they also need him to kind of stick his nose in there with some of this physical stuff, certainly when Connor's involved. Okay, I will rewrite that and come back to you after game two, okay? Yeah, sure. I just didn't know what you were asking. <laughs> I was just saying, is it good or is it bad that he's jumping in there? And I know you like it, but it's a fine line, right? I've been hitting the head a lot. Sometimes <laughs> yeah, stuff yeah, me you say too. doesn't make sense. Me, me too. <laughs> um, all right, uh, last one here. We were talking about the Brady Kachuk thing. Someone caused a stir by saying, like, if you were a teammate of Brady Kachuk, would you worry about him being the captain of your team and cheering on his brother in the NHL playoffs? No, not not worried about him cheering on his brother at all, right? Like, I think most people love that, that he's this passionate about his brother and his, you know, his sister's there and his dad's there. It's a great family, and it's, it's a really close family. Like, yeah. every time I've seen them in public or at the All-Star game, there, there's always a bunch of them. There's never just, you know, Big Walt on his own or his wife's always there, you know, Brady, or, like, there's always somebody else there. So I, I love that. It's just unprecedented, right? Like he's the captain of Ottawa, and it's it's weird just seeing him in the stands. And but it's kind of cool, isn't it? It's kind of cool seeing him having a a pint with his dad, and you know, cheering on his brother, and he's loud. And it's cool because we know what kind of a player Brady is. Brady's not like a perimeter guy. Like he's a guy if he's on the ice, he's giving it his all. He's gonna fight for his team. Like he, it's not like you know what I mean. Like that's what yes. makes it kind of okay with for me. Like is he's a guy that will put it on the line for. Ottawa and Ottawa fans know that. I don't think Ottawa fans are really second-guessing this kid yeah. and how much he loves and how much he competes. He's just being a good brother and having some fun. I'm old school. I'm, the proof is in the pudding. Like, if, if yeah. he was a guy who didn't give it to you every night, then I would might be able to chirp him. But he does give it to you every single every night. Every night. Like, and if it was, like, Eric Carlson and when he was, like, the big dog in, in Ottawa, you would kind of be like, ah, but, like, you know, no disrespect to Carlson, but just the way he plays, right? Like, a yeah. skill game. Like, Brady... Kachuk does everything for that team. So, speaking of speaking of doing everything with a skill game, uh, we we are quick over here, and we have computers. Oh Look at this off of YouTube, out of the box, Bexa. So obviously, I had no doubts I was going to score on Hudobin, <laughs> right, my buddy. Yeah. But they reviewed this. They reviewed it because offside. they thought it was offside. Yeah. And my buddy's a linesman in the league, and he said this became the gold standard for. The puck crossing the line when you don't really have full possession of it. Watch it. <laughs> Let's see. Like I was kind of going backwards, but I had full possession. Oh, you But technically, my feet went over yeah. first. So this yeah. kind of became interesting little tidbit. This became like the gold standard for what was allowed. That's control. Cool, eh? That's control. And that's a snipe. Low corner, gets laughed, the apple. You're welcome, Getsy. You're welcome for another <laughs> apple. <laughs> what else Patting can I do for you? Patting the stats with Bieksa. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. Appreciate this. All right. Good talking. Uh, there is Kevin Bieksa down at the NHL and Sportsnet Studios. Other side, round one of the, uh, the PGA Championship underway. We have got a legend joining us to break, us, break it down. David Faraday stops by. Hopefully, I can get the marbles out of my mouth by the time that legend joins us. Next, right here on Tim and Friends. Round one, PGA Championship, Southern Hills, Tulsa, Oklahoma, Tiger, Tiger Woods, y'all. Of course, his second event of 2022. Hasn't won the PGA since 2007. Starting on the back nine, can't expect much from Tiger, right? Hold up. 
Hey, look at this. Ooh. On the par four, 10th led to his first birdie of the day, and then at 9.17 local time, he smashes a sub. <laughs> par three, 14th, 221 yards. Muscles a five iron right on up there, sets up a 13-foot birdie right in the clown's mouth. Yeah, Two under par. I was going nuts at this point. Two under par for Tiger, but calls her a mix a lot. We got a butt and a big butt. Uh, Tiger par putt to stay in the negatives from the fringe, just misses. Four-time PGA Championship winner, back to even par, then at two over, misses the green eight of the right on the par three eighth, and appears to be in some discomfort. Bogey's the hole, shot a four over 74 in his opening round. Par four ninth, Rory McIlroy, playing the same group, not distracted at all, from 18, got it. Five under 65 to take the early clubhouse lead. Par five-fifth, world number one, Scotty Scheffler. Second shot from 307 yards away. Yeah, cozy up to 10 feet. Ensuing putt, Scheffler. First place finishes in four of his last eight starts. Buries the eagle, drops him to two under par. And right now, Rory McIlroy continues to be your leader after a five under 65 in the opening round. I must admit, the guest we have to help us break down what we saw at Southern Hills, I could listen to read Criss Cross lyrics and find it enthralling. Joining us from Tulsa is David Faraday. Mr. Faraday, longtime listener. I was going to say first time caller, but it's actually the second. It's been way too long. Thank you so much for doing this. Oh, nice to be with you, Tim. Uh, I keep hearing that this course is a shot maker's course or a technique and touch tournament, maybe a little imagination. What do you remember most about Southern Hills? Well, I, I remember in 2007, I was with CBS at the time and, and uh, we, we covered the tournament and it was so hot that in the last round, I used so much gold bond powder. <laughs> I, I, sitting in the air conditioning afterwards, it turned into cement. <laughs> Like a, like a plaster cast, yeah. But uh, no, the, the golf course is, is very different from what it was then. It's gone through a redesign. Uh, they've taken out a lot of really old trees, huge trees. And uh, I'm not sure that I'm a big fan of that kind of thing. I never saw a tree I didn't like. But um, it, it's a phenomenal golf course. Uh, a lot of false fronts, uh, very difficult to hit greens. Uh, you know, and, and if the wind blows, which it's forecast to do so, uh, you, you know, I, I think the winning score won't be very many under par. Uh, I used to play uh, old-timers hockey with my old man and his skate, and they all used to use that powder after the skate, yeah. and Mr. Faraday yeah. was the grossest thing I'd ever seen in my life. Yes, I bet <laughs> yeah. it is. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I know you've, you've come to know Rory pretty well. Second place yeah. finish at the Masters, now five under uh, in the opening round. What's it like seeing him play at this level? Well, you know, we're from the same town um, uh, and it's a little place. So it's really cool to see him play well. Very few people make the game look as pretty as he does when he plays well. And of course, uh, you know, he, he's trying for, for that, you know, the uh, the Grand Slam. You know, he and Jordan Spieth, um, you know, have, uh, have got that chance. So, uh, you know, it's, it's one of those things that, uh, you know, he's won a PGA before. Uh, what what has he got? Four majors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Trying to make it five. 
I can't confirm. I'm going to try and Google it quickly, but I, I can't confirm. I think it's four majors as well, but I can't confirm. Yeah, but this, but he feels like he's kind of, and this happens to a lot of athletes, where it comes in ebbs and flows, and it seems like that that ebb and flow right now is pointing the right way for him. Yeah, it, it is, and he is kind of a streaky player. Yeah. I don't think there's any doubt about that. You know, when he plays well, he's very hard to beat. I uh, never doubt the man. It is indeed yeah. for uh, the, the Google machine has come up well for us. So Tiger starts strong uh, two under through five closed uh, six over in the final 13. If my math is right. Do you find watching Tiger amazing that he's able to compete at this level or tough because he's clearly not the Tiger that a lot of us fell in love with? Well, I, I think it's a combination of both. You know, we're still hopeful. Um, you know, he's uh, uh, he's not back up to, to, to strength. I think it's safe to say that. He made a couple of swings today that looked like they hurt him. Um, you know, so that's not a good sign, it's for sure, and, and not, a, not a good start um, after getting off to a, you know, a, a fast one. You know, to, to finish like that, you know, it must be real disappointing for him. I know you're working on the, the Faraday Classic, which is coming to Canada, by the way. Ottawa and Toronto, to be exact, on June 6th and 7th. Folks can get info at FaradayOffTour.com. That's FaradayOffTour.com. Now, Tiger's been to a couple of these, hasn't he? Well, yeah. Well, we originally got the idea from one that I did with Tiger, uh, well, many years ago when I was still kind of halfway playing. Mm -hmm. um, it was uh, an exhibition match. Curtis Strange and myself played Tiger and Justin Leonard. We came off a distant second. Is the <laughs> Shocking. Your next question. Yes. Um, and, uh, you know, it was live mic'd. Uh, there were speakers on carts. So there were about 15,000 people out there, you know, to, to watch that match. We're, we're only going to have about 1,500 people in Ottawa and in Toronto. Uh, so it'll be a lot more of an intimate affair. A nine-hole skins match with the proceeds going to charity. And uh, I'll do about 45 minutes of stand-up and then interview the, bo the boys. We've got uh, Daniel Alfredson nice. um, in, in Ottawa, you know, yeah. local hero there. And uh, Pat Perez is the PGA Tour pro. And we've got Emmett Smith and Big Ben Roethlisberger, who hits it about 400 yards, I hear, but I'm not sure which direction. <laughs> Sounds like my game, but you can take a couple hundred yards off yeah. of that. Uh, I, I've heard that Tiger is funnier than we might expect. Is that true or false? Yeah, he is. He is. You know, and social media is to blame for for a lot of these things. You know, these players can't really be who they they really are at times. You know, for fear of getting cancelled or, you know, or worse. It, um, it's funny because you know, like, listen, not a lot of people think of Tiger as being the funny guy. But when you're amongst company that you enjoy, you turn into a little bit of a different person. Is that how you came up with the idea for the Faraday Classic? Is putting people in an environment where they're having a little bit more fun? That's exactly right, yeah. Tim. You know, it, it should be fun. Uh, it's a skins game. I'll be providing commentary. Nothing right. cynical, of course. Um, and, uh, you know, with the interview uh, afterwards and, and only 1,500 people uh, inside the ropes, you know, it, it should be really nice, uh, a nice event. We're really looking forward to both of them. Again, if you want more info on this, FaradayOffTour.com or group corporate sales info at JonesEntertainmentGroup.ca, info at JonesEntertainmentGroup.ca. Um, so I read right. Nine hole skins game. You got 50K going to charity. Uh, 90 minutes of stand up and stories. Like, that's not yeah. easy to do, my friend. 
Well, you know, I've been doing it for a long time. I've been a professional golfer for 47 years. Good God, have I really? <laughs> yeah, that's right. 47 years. You know, so you I mean you collect a few of these things along the way. Do you, uh, before I let you go, do you remember one of the, I know you do Q&A with the audience. Do you remember your favorite question? Can you say your favorite question on national TV? Does it alter what you might answer here in your favorite question well, in those Q&As? My favorite question in the Q&A? Oh, well, you know, I mean, I get asked, uh, you know, a lot of who was my favorite guest, you know, on, on the talk show. That was yeah. pro that's probably the most common question. And it's a really difficult one to answer. I had 160 people, four presidents, uh, people like Samuel Jackson and Matthew McConaughey. And Condoleezza Rice was fantastic. Uh, Bill Russell, uh, probably the greatest winner in the history of American sports, yeah. was an amazing man. But uh, it, it's, it's really hard to answer that one. There were so many. That's awesome. Um all right, uh, I, got, I got to let you go, but I'm going to ask one more because I have to. Um, sure. One round does not a golf tournament make. Uh, words of wisdom from Uncle Timmy over here. But what are, you, what are you looking for going into the weekend or who or what do we need to keep an eye on besides the gold bond on the weekend at Southern <laughs> Hills? Right, well, it's going to be cool at the weekend, so there'll yeah. be no gold bond uh, involved in that one. I, uh, I doubt. Uh, Rory McIlroy uh, is, is a big story. Scotty Scheffler at two under. Uh, number one player in the world you know that's uh, uh that's quite a, but i'll tell you will zalatoris who is a member at bentry in dallas just around the corner from where i live is one hell of a young player um just keep your eye on him too you know he's, he's the real thing awesome uh this is a great pleasure uh i appreciate you doing this and if you want more information faradayofftour.com is where you can find it thank you mr faraday for doing this thanks jim be well there is uh, David Faraday in Tulsa, Oklahoma, in and around Southern Hills, joining us here on Tim and Friends. That was so cool. Yeah, I, I, uh, that, we said off the top that perhaps Buck Showalter might be a guy that you'd want to go out and spend some time with. Mm -hmm. Just like an hour with Faraday. Yeah, I mean, that's what he does on his talk show, right? He just gets, he just gets everyone in that frame of mind. Like, that is the vibe of the show he's just an, an expert at that and uh when you think of golf analysts he's right up there with the best of them i once watched him do what he's doing at these tournaments mm -hmm. and it's like stand-up comedy but it's just telling stories right and he does like an hour of just telling one story after another and people are doubled over in laughter. It's unbelievable. It's hard to believe someone could be that funny. <laughs> like really, just how are you so witty? Kind of jealous. It's unbelievable. Yeah, kind of jealous. <laughs> Time for a break. When we come back, we will turn our attention back to the Battle of Alberta. Frank Saravelli was in the building for that crazy opener last night. We'll get his thoughts on it and the rest of the Stanley Cup playoffs. And we'll do that next right here on Tim and Friends. Sheepdogs back here. Hour number two. Tim and friends. Full hour on Sportsnet 360, which includes Kenny the Jet Smith on the NBA Conference Finals. Both sides. We will 
cover it all for you. Just a half an hour to go on Sportsnet. Hockey Central standing by to tee up the night in the Stanley Cup playoffs, which does not include the Battle of Alberta. This country still buzzing over last night's incredible game one in the Battle of Alberta. Flames outlasting the Oilers 9-6 in a wild one. Mike Smith pulled after allowing three goals on 10 shots in the first seven minutes, but head coach Jay Woodcroft stood behind Smith today. Mike is quite clear on the team's faith in him and certainly the coaching staff's faith as well. For me, it's not, it wasn't even about Mike. It was about our team in that, in that moment. And uh, I was just trying to slow the game down. And, um, you know, in the end, uh, well, there's certainly lots to work on. We found a way to tie it up in the third period. As I said, we hung six goals on their starting goaltender uh, in their building. That should be enough to win a game. Meantime, Flames with a 1-0 series lead, but certainly some defensive work to address, as Mr. Woodcroft mentioned. After coughing up a 6-2 lead in Game 1 today, Daryl Sutter was asked, just what happened in last night's goal fest? I think both teams would say that they expect more saves, I would say. Obviously, i got to be better, and, uh, you know, everyone knows that, and myself included, and... Uh, but it's, uh, you know, to have a game like that and, and in the playoffs and, and still come out with a win, it's, uh, you know, that's a good feeling. The guys, uh, you know, definitely bailed me out. So, uh, you know, now we're excited for, for tomorrow. I love how everyone tries to make the negative a positive. Always. <laughs> in the playoffs, it's exactly. Have to. You have to. Frank Saravelli coming up shortly from Calgary. Here's the sked tonight. Hockey Central, as mentioned, follows us 6.30 Eastern. 4.30 Mountain on, sport, on Sportsnet. Then it's game two, Lightning Panthers, followed by Blues and As, both games on Sportsnet. And CBC, the finalists for the Jack Adams Award were announced today. And Daryl Sutter, along with Andrew Brunette and Gerard Gallant, are in the running for the NHL's Coach of the Year Award. Sutter, a finalist for the second time, first time in 18 seasons, while Gallant won the award with Vegas in 2018. Winner will be announced we're hearing on June 2nd. The way I look at it is that I don't, I don't need that uh, on my resume. Some guys do. So I'd rather see young guys win it, quite honest. Or guys that have maybe got a raw deal somewhere. I like a guy like Gerard. Got a raw deal in Florida, got a raw deal in Vegas. Oh, if I had a boat. I know who I'd vote for. <laughs> nice of Sutter to say that. Canada's 4x100 relay team has got their bronze medal upgraded to silver officially. This is from the 2020 Tokyo Games, which happened in 2021. Uh, this is why uh, people think things like this are jumping the shark, because it's ridiculous. But congratulations to our dudes, Andre DeGrasse, Honor, Aaron Brown, Brendan Rodney, and Jerome Blake. They now get silvers instead of bronze. To baseball and bad news for the Mets, Max Scherzer will be out six to eight weeks with a high-grade oblique strain. He joins Jacob deGrom on the shelf. The Mets, who can't have nice things, were off to a great start to the season at 26-14 and 14 with a seven-game lead in the NL East. We'll see what they can do without Scherzer and DeGrom. Now, speaking of New York, let's go to the Yankees and the Orioles. Some highlights that Jays fans may be interested in. Top one, two on for Giancarlo Stanton. And that Stantonian one, well, it kind of thinks it's a homer. 
new left field wall means it's not. It's 30, 30 feet that deeper. That wall's a mess. <laughs> yeah, so both runners score Stanton just a single, 2 nothing Yankees. He knows he screwed up, but top four, another shot. Down the left field line, it is gone, a home run. Stanton wraps one around the pole. First visiting player with a home run to left. Here at Camden Yards, and it ties the game at three. Does that make up for it? That's a real stat. Yeah. First visiting player. To hit a home run to left. Oh, my goodness. Beats the new wall. Major League leading 35th RBI. We are tied at three. But in the bottom of the ninth, tied at six, Anthony Santander does it as well. He wraps one around the pole. 3-1 blast. Walks it off for the Orioles. They avoid the sweep. 9-6 the final. Where have we heard that before? Take it back to the old school, 9-6, your final in-game one. Here to help us break it down from Calgary is the president of hockey content for the Daily Faceoff. It is Frank Saravelli. Thanks for joining us, Frankie. Tim, great to be back. What the hell happened? What happened, Frank? Last night, everything happened. That's what happened. <laughs> yes. It, it, we were in Bob Cole territory. Uh, let me hit it. What stood out to you? I mean, we talked to Kevin BX, and Jesse and I talked about it off the top of the show. What was the most intriguing part of all the things that happened? There were post-game raps that left out guys who had hat-tricks. We haven't even brought up Matthew Kachuk yet. What stood out to you the most in what was uh, everything happening? Complete and utter domination by the Calgary Flames, particularly in the Edmonton Oilers, and really that's 
The Oilers had no answer for the physicality that the Flames had. They were buzzing 100 miles an hour. And to see the way that the Oilers collapsed in their own end under that pressure and that physicality, to me, was the story of the game. I don't care how many goals you score. You can tie it at 6-6. If you're going to continue to play that way in your own end, it's just not a recipe for success. The Oilers said all the right things, Tim, today as they got a chance to look back at the tape and really confirm all the things that we thought we saw and they thought they saw in game one. And it was ugly. And the thing is, they've bounced back well at times, and particularly in that first round series against L.A., they did it a bunch of times this past season. The last time they lost to the Flames and gave up nine goals in March, they went on to win six straight games. So the ability to bounce back is there. The question is, can they withstand that for a seven-game series and find a way to survive? How much will injuries play a factor in what you're describing right now? A lot. And I don't want to say that I'm regretting my pick before the series to say that I had the Oilers in seven. But in this case, I didn't realize how banged up Darnell Nurse is. You take a look at Leon Dreisaitl, and so much focus has been on that high ankle sprain. And he doesn't look right. The fact that the Oilers have put him at wing is a huge indication. Uh, his minutes are down. He didn't play any time shorthanded, not a single second in game one. Um, he was below average for his season in terms of minutes and workload in that game. But Darnell Nurse, to me, he played seven fewer minutes than his season average. Game one was his lowest output of the entire season in a complete game that he's played. It was lower than even uh, all the games that he played in the first round against L.A. after missing the final four games of the regular season. I'm told that Darnell Nurse has a core muscle injury, and that doesn't seem like something that's going to be getting a lot better. So when you take... Darnell Nurse and Leon Dreisaitl, two of the Oilers' three best players, and you have a roster that already isn't quite as deep as the Calgary Flames, that's trouble. And that's going to be something pretty significant that I'm not sure that the Oilers can overcome. Like I said, they can find a way to be more physical. They can get some more stops from Mike Smith, get a better start in a game for once. It feels like this playoffs. Yeah. But if those two guys are significantly hurt, that's going to be really difficult. I was saying in the L.A. series, like, the starts is getting a little ridiculous. At some point, you just have to look. It's under two different coaches. It's been the entire year. It's been a problem for the team uh, for seemingly more than a year. At some point, you just have to look at each other in the room and say, like, we've got to be better off the top. What was the talk from the team about the starts that they've been having and then specifically last night? They actually spoke about exactly that today when they were asked, you know, to a man is, is what they were saying. They all need to be better. Mike Smith took uh, some of that responsibility himself with that start. Um, you know, Jay Woodcroft was saying that, you know, they need to be on their toes for the start of games instead of on their heels. And, you know, I don't know what that's symptomatic of. I think I had some question marks about their maturity level when it came to the way that they played in that first round series. Because when you have a team that you run over 14 to 2 like they did against the Kings, and then you come out and start game four the way that they did, the way that they played in game five, yes, they found a way to rebound and they've been resilient, but you can get away with that potentially against an undermanned Kings team. You can't do that as the playoffs advance. You can't do that against the Calgary Flames that are deeper, have better defense, better goaltending. It's, uh, it's certainly a cause for concern for Edmonton now. Six out of eight games that they've played in the playoffs have been rough starts. Uh, it was rough stuff out there at times. Matthew Kachuk again right in the middle of all this. Then he has the hat trick, the family celebrating in the stands. It seemed like a pretty good game one for the Kachuk family. 
Was it ever? I, I ran into uh, Keith Kachuk today. I said, why, why didn't you give up the hat? He said, not that hat. He said, that's my favorite hat. Uh, that's pretty much what Matthew was thinking after the game. Um, you know, when you look at it, it's is it any shock, really, that Matthew Kachuk is in the middle of all the madness? I mean, this is a guy that I think was born to play in the Battle of Alberta. He just didn't know it at the time. 1997, he was born six years after the last time these two teams met. But he's so perfect for it. And what I loved about his game one, you can put the goals aside, the way that he ramped up his play as, as round one ended, game one, he was under control and in control. He had some hilarious chirps. Uh, we saw those that were caught on camera. He went after Evander Kane, but he was pretty controlled in terms of his emotion. That's going to be such a big thing for both teams as this series goes on. You see the number of goals that were poured into the net. You don't want to be giving the opposition any extra opportunity. And so I felt like he kind of lost his way a little bit against the Stars going after Klingberg. It felt like that took him out of the mix for two games. And he was much better. Daryl Sutter mentioned it after the game in game one. And that's going to be something that they need moving forward. I could use a little more money. Couldn't we all use a little bit more money? <laughs> uh, all right. So, so. Oh. Can we talk about Brady, though? Like, what a night for Brady. Like, the Brady Kachuk <laughs> jam is like appointment television. There should be an extra <laughs> Sportsnet feed just on YouTube that's streaming live all game, a view of Brady. We, we had a feature during the pandemic of them together and all the things that they – like, anyone who had a problem obviously didn't see the feature that Sportsnet showed of how close this family is and those two dudes are because – it seemed like they knew everything about each other going back to when they were like two years old. It's unbelievable how close they are. But what's cooler than that? I saw some of the gruff on social media and I'm like, do, do, what don't you get? Like, it's okay for brothers to be close. Yeah, he's the captain of another NHL franchise. And yes, it's a Canadian team as well. But the excitement, uh, the way that he's into the game, I love the fact that they're also sitting in the bowl. They could easily go find a suite somewhere. They're front <laughs> and center, right in the mix with everyone else. The Kachuk grandfather is there. The sister is there. Everyone's there. And that's kind of the way that it should be. And tall boy in hand. Uh, before I let you go, what other, what, other series, <laughs> what other series is distracting you the most right now? I won't ask you about all of them. I'll just ask you, what other series is, is getting your attention the most right now? It's got to be the Battle of Florida. I mean, I think the Panthers are up against it tonight. If they go down 2-0 uh, and go back to Tampa, the way that Tampa closed out that series against the Leafs, um, heart of a champion, you could tell on full display again in Game 7. And the Panthers just really haven't looked like themselves in these playoffs. They've struggled yep. at times. Uh, they sort of, you know, I, I hate to use the word choky. They felt a little bit of that in, in the first round, and they, they found themselves at the right time against the Caps to move on. But they're a team that we had question marks sort of as the season was winding down. This offensive juggernaut, this team that set the salary cap era record for goals in a single season, would that game translate to the playoffs? And so far, the answer has been no. And by the way, their power plays on a milk carton at 0 for 21. There's been five teams, Tim, in the salary cap era that didn't score a power play goal in round one. All five of them, aside from the Panthers, lost in round one. So the fact that they were able to make it to the second round says something about the prowess that they have, the ability to come back. But that's flirting with disaster against the two-time defending champs. Yeah, gut check, cup check, whatever you want to call it. It is check time for... Uh, Florida at home down one game to nine. Frank, always appreciate you doing this. Thanks for going down to the rink for us. Thanks, Sam.
There is Frank Saravelli, dailyfaceoff.com. Time for a break. More hockey, though, on the way as we visit with Kyle Bukoskis in Sunrise, Florida, ahead of game number two between the Panthers and the Lightning. We will get you set for the night on the ice ahead of Hockey Central right here. I'm Tim and Friends. Welcome back, friends. Earlier this year, we shared, I was going to say week, but earlier this year, we shared Reggie Millette's amazing story. How his life changed the moment he stepped on the ice and fell in love with the game of hockey. They were cutting onions in here for me and Jesse mm -hmm. when we saw the story. And how a stranger helped along the way. It was part of Bauer's global campaign, The Barn, a place where diversity is celebrated and all are welcome to play the game of hockey. Reggie's story was so inspiring, so oozing with perseverance and love for the game. So together with Bauer, Reggie is now fulfilling his dream of giving back to the underserved community of New Haven, Connecticut, so that everyone gets to experience what hockey has to offer. Hi, I'm Reggie Millette. We're in New Haven, Connecticut. Today we are going to be fitting 6th, 7th, and 8th graders for hockey gear. First off, the sport of hockey can just bring uh, the confidence that a little kid needs. I feel like when I was that age, just my confidence level wasn't the best, but once I got hockey, you know, it kind of, it definitely boosted it. He's them. Reggie is those kids. Just because you were born in the slums, don't mean the slums was born in you. You can rise above it. And that's what Reggie did. That's those kids in there. And you got to get them at a young age to impress upon them that there's better opportunities out there for them. Like the feeling that I got from it, I felt like I was my grandma and the kid was me like the first time that she tied my skates. So it definitely, you know, brought back those those memories as a kid. I'm a big wristband guy too. Yeah, same, my mom got this for me. Yeah, that's awesome. It's like the same color, kind of, kind of. Mine's like a bit darker. Honestly, I think purple, like purple and blue are like the best. Yeah, now try to throw it in the air. I think it means the world to me because uh, I just remember when I was that young, trying to find someone that, you know, looked like you or did something that you wanted to do was very hard, uh, especially to find someone that's doing it in a positive manner. We just renovated Ralph Walker Rink, the previous mayor. Tony Hart thought it would be a great idea to put the rink back together and let's get hockey going back in our city. If we can get more youth playing hockey to feed the program and a rink that belongs to us. We don't have to go out and rent rink time for our kids. It was just a no-brainer. I think it's amazing to help anyone start something new for the first time and for you to be like the person that they're looking for. Look at her first try. Are you serious? It's kind of surreal for me that, you know, I still got the opportunity to to do that and giving back to kids that were just like me, you know? Some of them never held a hockey stick before until today, so. Oh, what's up, man? Have you ever held a hockey stick before? Really? We, we just gotta fix that right away. You know, it's definitely special for me to be the person that handed the stick over to them because I know what, what a hockey stick can do for someone's life. 
you know, it's all about growing here and having fun. Some people just have it. Reggie's, Reggie's got, got it. it. Yeah. <laughs> I think Bauer. I think Bauer recognized. Yeah, they were all doing it. Yeah. I mean, dude, he's, got it. he's changing people's lives. Like that's yeah. just what it is. You, yeah. you put a hockey. He said the power of the hockey stick. It's now they get involved in the community. It's From amazing. telling his story to be able to do that because his story was so inspiring yeah. is very cool to see. Uh, all right, big one for the Panthers tonight as they try and even the series with. A state rival lightning. You can see it on Sportsnet and CBC starting at 7 p.m. Eastern. With more in tonight's game, let's send it to Sunrise. Kyle Bukoskis, who will be a part of tonight's broadcast. Kyle. Well, Tim, we learned yesterday, actually, that Braden Point won't play here in Game 2 tonight. No surprise, given we haven't seen Point on the ice at all since Game 7 in Toronto. It'll be the same lineup for Tampa here this evening. Uh, Carter Verhage missed the bulk of the skate this morning for the Panthers. He's considered a game time decision. Now this did happen at one point last round but Verhage ended up playing that night. The Panthers of course hoping that their leading scorer is similar outcome here this evening. Now when these teams met in the playoffs a year ago special teams played a huge factor. The Tampa power play could not be stopped. They ended up winning in six games. In game one, the Lightning go three for six and what's been one of the more puzzling stats of the entire playoffs so far is the fact that the Panthers have yet to score a power play goal. I mean, this is a team that isn't afraid to go with five forwards on one unit, but nothing has worked to this point. In fact, they only have eight shots from the slot total over their 21 power play opportunities. Andrew Burnett was named a finalist for the Jack Adams Trophy this morning. He was asked if any frustration is setting in on the man advantage. One word answer. Absolutely. Tim? <laughs> I so thought good. it was going to be not, and then I realized he said one yeah. word. Uh, 0 for 18 on the power play in the series win against the Caps. They were scoreless in three more on Tuesday, so now you're at 0 for 21. And what made it worse was that Tampa went three for six on their power play in game one. Yeah, Frank was saying this. There's just something off with the Panthers. Like Most people expected them to sort of walk over the, the Capitals. That didn't happen. And then there was just like a lack of energy in game one going up against Tampa Bay Lightning when this is one of the blossoming rivalries in all of hockey. And like it's similar to the Oilers. Like You shouldn't need much motivation to get up for a playoff game in the second round. The, the thing that was off, though, is are they not Leaf-like? where you you know that they have the talent. I mean, 122 points yeah. and 58 wins would obviously say that they have talent, but are they playoff tested? And to win a series without scoring a power play goal is somewhat impressive. And to win a series without Sergei Bobrovsky being a $10 million goalie. And let's be honest, like yeah. that's the difference for this team. Okay, the power play is probably not going to go scoreless. Jonathan Uberdo is not going to be outscored by Pierre-Edouard Balmer, he has two goals in the playoffs. Uberdo has one, right? Like, that's not going to continue, I don't think. No. They need Bobrovsky to be Bobrovsky. Yeah, when you're making the amount of money that he's making as yeah. the backbone of that team, if you lose that battle, like, that drastically, as it looked like in game one with Vasilevsky, 
you're going nowhere real, real quick. Yeah, the game ones is ugly, and Vasilevsky over his last three games, all of them wins, including game seven against Toronto, has stopped 94 of 99 shots. He's, he's pretty good. Yeah. He, he's been good. Yeah. He's settled in, and he's been better. All right, time now to send it to Hockey Central on Sportsnet. Rob McLean and the entire crew standing by. As for us, we'll be back on Sportsnet 360 as the legend Kenny the Jet Smith joins us from Hearts Unknown to discuss the NBA's conference finals. We'll be back in 60 seconds on Sportsnet 360. The rest of you, enjoy Mr. McLean and his crew. The Eastern Conference Finals gets underway. This has been a tough place to win all season long. And Butler down the end, throws it down. Brown drives in, kicks it out. Tatum blocked by Butler, rejected out of bounds. Backing in, spins, falling away. It's good. Jimmy Butler with 39. More Butler brilliance in the postseason. And Miami takes a 1-0 lead in this best of seven series. Welcome to game one of the Western Conference Finals. It's a sellout on a beautiful night in the Bay Area. What a Wiggins hits it again. Give him 10. Oh, by Crane erases the shot from the corner. They trap him here and throws it blindly. And gets it back for a triple. Oh, he hit it again! Finney Smith defends the bump. Got it! And the Golden State Warriors have taken a one-game-to-none lead in the Western Conference Finals against the Dallas Mavericks. Warriors and Heat taking game one at home to start the NBA's Conference Finals. Game two from Miami on tap tonight. You can see it on Sportsnet 1 and 360. 8.30 Eastern, 5.30 on the west side. Al Horford set to return to the Celtics lineup after clearing put. They tested him back into the game. Well, Marcus Smart probable after missing game one with a foot injury. Kyle Lowry remains out for the Heat with a hamstring injury. Now, he's been an absolute stalwart here on Tim and Friends. From the time that Sid jumped ship, Smith has been there for us. Where? Well, that's been the fun part. From Turks... To Menchies, it's time to play. Where in the world is Kenny Smith? Tell me where in the world is Kenny Smith Diego. Kenny Smith. So, where in the world is Kenny Smith? Let's go. Uh, I'm in Beverly Hills, Los Angeles. Ah, oh, nice. And and and, I, and I'm, I'm actually driving. No, I'm not driving. <laughs> I know the story driving. I wanted to like do all of this and make like I was driving. Yeah. But it's the most quietest spot where, where, yeah. where I was. And the parked car over your right shoulder kind of screws it up a little bit too. Oh! Yeah. <laughs> Uh, the guy walking the street by, by, yeah, by the yeah. car. Like, uh, no matter where you're joining us, we appreciate you doing this. So let me ask you a question, and this is I'm going to go wide angle here. Two games into the conference final, what has surprised you the most about the way either the Heat and Celtics started or the way the Warriors and Mavs started? Neither, honestly. Yeah? Neither surprised me because – I looked at it this way. I said, you know, I've been fortunate enough to be on teams that's gone game seven and then win on the road and they have to go back on the road again right afterward. The game one, the the adrenaline, the anxiety, all that, it's gone. You like It feels like a regular season game. It doesn't feel like a playoff game. So I didn't expect 
um, anything less from Dallas last night or anything more from Dallas. Hmm. Um, yeah, I, I just thought that game two is going to be the game. That's the game where everything's going to show. And they're, gonna, they're ready. They're in the city for more than 48 hours. Right. They're hearing all of these talk radio, talk about how poorly they played. They're going to be ready. And we'll see what the series really is. Uh, and with Boston, without Marcus Smart and Al Horford, I, yeah, how can you judge them? Right. Like Those two guys have clear advantages in certain areas. Al Horford can stretch the floor, bring the big guys away from the rim, and, and Marcus Smart is the defensive player of the year. So he's going to guard Jimmy Butler, who got 40. So he's right. not there. Right. So it's kind of it's difficult to measure these teams in game one. I know Chuck and Shaq got into it over whether or not it would be harder to score against the defensive MVP or player of the year. Uh, Chuck was right. But can Marcus Smart be the difference in this series, even if he's not 100%? Well, it definitely going to make things difficult. Yeah. Like, you're not going to have certain things. But um, there, there is one thing about Jimmy that's different. He's not your traditional scorer in right. the sense that he isolates and goes. He gets offensive rebounds. He gets backdoor cuts. He, he, score, he gets steals and breakaways. So he scores unconventionally. He doesn't score the same way uh, Kevin Durant scores. So it, it's a different type of scoring. So Marcus Smart doesn't always affect everything that he does. How different are the Heat if and when Kyle Lowry plays? Oh, I think they're, they're much different. I think they're, I think they're better when he plays because he, he allows everyone to be in their natural position. So Tyler Hero doesn't have to bring the ball up. Right. Jimmy Butler doesn't have to bring it up. They can become scorers. They become wingmen and, and traditional wingmen. So for me, I think that the ability, what he does is he leads everyone into a natural position, takes a, all the ball hand. You guys know, what am I explaining this for? <laughs> I've been talking to I'm not telling you what, the value of Kyle Lowry. This is on this show. I'm not going to do that on this show. I'm done. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> I, we do understand what, what he does well up in these parts. Okay, thank you. Let, me, right. let me flip the script then on a guy that we're, we're not sure what he does well, or at least we weren't sure until he went to Golden State. And I know that you know that we're Canadian and have a little bit more love for our homies, just like you do for Queens or Carolina. But I'm going to be honest, Andrew Wiggins had lost a few folks in his eight years in the league. But did we just see... Wiggins' most impressive game as a pro in game one? Well, you know, the regular season, you make your name, but the playoffs, you make your fame. Right. Like, you, you, don't, you don't become a great player on regular season uh, outputs. So, yes, the, defensively and offensively, this was the best we've seen him on a bigger stage. These are the biggest stages. So it matters more. Um, for him... You know, he really was a silent assassin in the playoffs until last night. Like, he was just really the third or fourth wheel. Last night, he became the wheel. Uh, he became the all-star that he was at, you know, the beginning of the season. So, I always, I, you know, we, we talked about this earlier. I always felt this was the best location and destination yeah. for him. I, I just, you know, the, the role, what he has to do, the value of what it does, and when he does it, it's going to be magnified because the stage is going to be much bigger in Golden State. Right. You, as soon as that trade was made, you were on the show and you were saying this is a really good spot for him. And we, we talk and about. I said he'd make an all-star team. And, and he did. This and year. he did. 
And he did. And we talk about culture a lot on this show. One, because uh, we see the Raptors culture and what that gets them. And two, for me, outside the teams that are most talented, like that overrun everyone with talent, you absolutely need culture. And I think the culture in Golden State has helped Wiggins realize what he could be. Would you agree with that statement? Well, I think the culture for sure, but I also think the role, you know, like as as great as a greater player and, you know, Steph Curry is, his role is to score. You know what I mean? So when you ask Andrew to score 25 points, that's not really his role. His role is, oh, can you guard the best, can you defend the best guy on the other team? Okay. Can you then get us 18 points while you do that? Right. That is his role. And so, for me, it was important to watch, you know, as NBA guys go from place to place, I'm like, is he going to be able to do his role? And because a guy, you're always like the others and all of this star stuff, because a guy scores more doesn't make him the best player all the time or the most valuable player. Right. And that was valuable what he did, and it was most valuable last night. As you're talking about that, part of me wonders, did Jimmy Butler challenge the Sixers culture or the T-Wolves culture too much, and that's why he's in Miami right now? I think he exposed their culture. Yeah. He exposed it. Yeah. And... It's kind of like the what's that? What was that? The, the king with that walks around with no clothes on, and everyone says he what was that. What's that little? <laughs> the, the emperor has no clothes. The emperor, yeah. right, the emperor yeah. had, that's what happened. Right. The emperor had no clothes on, and they couldn't accept that. Right. And they were they were exposed. Uh, I'm sure Phoenix fans thought the Mavs were done and dusted. You and I last week were talking about how much a dog Luca had in him. And he showed it after we had that conversation um, with another couple of brilliant performances. Do you expect the same here? I think Luca is the Don. <laughs> he is the guy. He is the he is the probably the second or first, third hardest guy to guard in the NBA. Uh, there's no doubt about it. NBA, every NBA player will tell you that. Every Scout will tell you that. Every person who watches basketball analytically will tell you that he's in the top three of the, the hardest guys to defend because of his size, his strength, and his shooting ability. So he is LeBron without the athleticism, uh, but he gets to the areas of the floor the same way LeBron does. Which is crazy. Uh, does the Warriors' experience better prepare them than, say, the Suns? Yeah, well, of course. Um, experience is, a, you know, reduces anxiety you know and because the it's it's like i think i said it last week you know when your mom drops you off at your daycare for the first day she has a great deal of anxiety right day 12 she doesn't have that same anxiety <laughs> she's just dropping you off yeah. she's like Get she's out actually the car. opening the door like <laughs> yo you know so that's that's what playoff experience feels like it really does like you don't have that anxiety of not knowing what's going to go that's for for the common folk. I think that's the only way I can explain it is that it's day 12, brother. Get out the car, meet the teacher. Uh, I wrote down uh, regular season, you make your name. Playoffs, you make your fame. Uh, I may have to teeth that 
Well, I'll give full credit. I will footnote Kenny. Uh, just give, give Kenny, full credit. Footnote, footnote Kenny Jet Smith. Uh, and one thing, did you watch Carmen Santiago when you were a kid? Was it around when you were a kid? No, what's Carmen Santiago? Fill the, me in. Maybe the, I have it. I don't remember. Uh, off the opening. Here, we'll play it for you one more time. I don't know if you've okay. heard this a cappella before. Okay. Tell me where in the world is <laughs> Kenny Smith Diego. Oh, tell me where in the world is Kenny Smith. You, you, there was a PBS show. I thought that was something you. I thought it was something you just made <laughs> on the spot. I have never heard that. No. I thought it was just somebody doing that as some musical play. I, I, I was. Know. I was asking. It was like a show, like maybe. And I was born. I'm a little bit like my 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 looks um, kind of deceiving because I'm a little younger than I look. <laughs> Unfortunately, I'm a little younger than I look. Or but, maybe it's the area of the uh, world that you grew up that I just wasn't. No, ready. this was a U.S. show. This was PBS. Like it was. Oh no, yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on, I had cable. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I wasn't on PBS. Right. I wasn't. I wasn't donating thirteen dollars <laughs> to watch it. No, I'm sorry. All right, be well. You can you can uh, start the car up again. And let me tell you something. That looks like a ride, Mr. Smith. Hey, hey, listen. It starts with a B. <laughs> and it's convertible. Uh, <laughs> L.A. Oh, wait, convertible. Wait, wait, wait. wait, wait. Oh, wait, no, he's not doing do it. it. He's not doing it. We got to do one stunt. We got to do one stunt. I know what's we going on here. one stunt, baby. It's coming up, baby. It's one stunt. We're doing one stunt, baby. Uh, the drop top. Uh, oh, look at that. Right. Tuck it in. Yeah, Take care of life, it itself. Life is good. Life is good. <laughs> hey, man. Life hey, man. You enjoy life that. Life is good. Life is good. Life is good. <laughs> Be well, my dude. Actually, just stay well. What am I talking about? All right. All right. Talk to you later. There is Kenny the Jet Smith in his Bentley. <laughs> Time for one last break. That was one of the biggest flexes of all time yeah like that was among the better flexes that we've ever had on yeah, the show yeah that was remarkable Dropping the top of his bentley <laughs> at the end of his segment uh, <laughs> amazing Tim McAuliffe, Jesse Rubinoff, this is Last Call. We've got about eight and a half minutes remaining in the I show and for Last Call I hand the reins to my friend I Mr. will Rubinoff. take Thy reins and go to the Blue Jays. Do you We're have, taking advantage. Oh, okay. What? No, you're going right to the question. I, I was going to ask you about if you had a convertible Bentley, but whatever. I was I, I was wondering if you were going to ask. <laughs> no, that's, I don't. We can't go from convertible Bentley to one of the great good. things that Blue Jays and Jays Care yes. does in the community. Yeah, so no, that that was a uh, that was flex. a big time. God Very impressive. Very, he's oh, having a good day. Yeah. Uh, okay, the Blue Jays taking advantage of their off day as uh, they host the Curveball Gala at Rogers Center for the first time since 2019. More than 1,200 guests will join the entire Jays roster for an evening in support of the Jays Care Foundation. Jays Care is also launching its 2022 fundraising campaign with the goal of bringing play-based programs to 45,000 children across the country, awesome. which is awesome yeah. stuff. A lot of good stuff yeah, happening in the show. Dear God. Yeah. Oof. How much is that one going to go yeah. for? Yeah. <laughs>
I'm going to have to phone in a bit. Ivanka's down right. there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Kenny, you know, maybe Kenny sells the yeah, Bentley. Kenny can help us that out. One. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> the Jays will be back in action tomorrow as they open a weekend set against Joey Votto and the Cincinnati Reds, who have the worst record in the majors. Votto has been out of the Reds lineup for more than two weeks due to COVID-19, but he is expected to rejoin the team in time for tomorrow's opener. And he's looking forward to visiting his hometown for just the fourth time in his major league career. I have very, very clear memories of, of watching the Blue Jays. First of all, you know, the, the Apple Autoglass jingle is still in, my, in the head, in my head to this day, you know, um, Apple Autoglass, you know. I watched uh, Jays baseball every single day. There's so many great players that came through. It was like Toronto was like, you know, it, Toronto was like, the, uh, you know, the late 90s, early 2000 Yankees before, you know, they they did their thing with all all the superstars. I mean, it was fabulous. We were so lucky. And, um, you know, the, um, the 1994 series interrupted a likely all Canadian uh, World Series. I feel scorned. I still keep track of the Jays. How can I not? It's, you know, my mom, my family, my friends. You know, they pepper me with stuff like that. I have great memories, great, great memories of, of the city and, and and certainly the Jays. That's awesome. Get him out of Cincy. I, uh, I always wondered why they said auto glass like that. Apple auto glass. Like they're, yeah. trying to, uh, they're trying to get the emphasis on the right syllables yeah. and make sure that you're timing it out properly, but it always sounds kind of weird, no? Uh, yeah. Apple auto glass. glass. Yeah, they're still around too. Apple just auto glass. Oh, it is? There's no Apple anymore? No, I'm just saying you don't have to pronounce it like that. It's just oh, autoglass, yeah, yeah. not autoglass. <laughs> autoglass. That's so good. <laughs> There's no Apple anymore. Uh, all right. They threw out um, the Apple. Is, <laughs> we, hear, we just heard Joey uh, waxing poetic about Toronto. the Blue Jays in Toronto in general. Um, would you like to see Votto finish his career? I, I feel like day? this was a thing like two years ago that would have been nice to see. Yeah. And I don't know if the time has passed on something like that. Uh, but it feels kind of sort of like the time has passed. And I'm a big Joey Votto fan. But wherever Joey Votto ends up, and I know his relationship with Canada baseball in the past hasn't been great, but I hope he stays within. Like, he's such a great personality in the game that can attract more people to the game. Like, I really hope he works here when all is said and done. Because yeah. he's just so good at that, but I got a feeling that like the Foxes and they will go after him immediately no, he's, when yeah. he stops playing because he's that engaging. So entertaining. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I just want to get him out of Cincinnati. I know he's been there forever, but they are just terrible. brutal. Yeah. Brutal. Uh, the CFL and the CFLPA reached a tentative agreement on a new CBA on Wednesday, ending the league's first strike in 40 years. Monday's preseason game between the Riders and Bombers will be rescheduled, but that's the only game that will be affected by the labor stoppage. Is this a good outcome for the league and its players? I'm gonna be honest right here, I haven't gone through uh, the tentative agreement Back to so figure only. out what we're going to have exactly. Uh, it sounds like it's not a bad deal for the players, and it didn't sound like the CFL was trying to avoid at all costs what could cripple the league. So in the end, I think that it feels like a good deal for everyone, because it doesn't sound like this was a last legs type negotiation right. from the league. The players got some things here, but the most important thing is they gotta get the hell out of their own way and play football. 
and get back into the communities and do the things that they need to do. You and I had a long conversation about this time last year about a talked about merger between the CFL and the XFL. It's time now for everyone who loves the CFL to put their money where their mouth is and go out and make a deal with the players and go out and watch games and go out and play football and go out and make a difference in your community. And I think that's the full circle that needs to happen here, or we may lose something that is near and dear to many people in this country. Well, that was the thesis of one of your, one of the viewers' favorite rants you've had on Tim and Friends. Yeah. That it was one, right at the beginning of Tim and Friends. That one went because um, there is this idea in this country, and I don't get it, that you like NFL football or CFL football. And to me, if you like football, you like football. So why not watch it in all of its varieties? That's the one thing that this country, I think, gets wrong. Oh, we're big time. We need big time blank, whatever the hell it is. Go watch junior hockey. Go watch CIS hockey or U Sports hockey. Go like we act like we're big time. And what you don't realize is that in every other country, they have these little small things that are amazing and fun to be at. And you're the ones who make it fun. So if you don't like the atmosphere at CFL games, change it. That's literally the MLS, right? That's literally <laughs> that the is, MLS that in this is country. True. Yes. And you can change it, but we we tend to look elsewhere because we can drive across a border and just get it. Right? Yes. Easy. Yes, that's true. Easy access. Uh, okay, to college football on Wednesday, Alabama coach Nick Saban speaking of Texas A&M of quote buying their number one ranked <laughs> recruiting class, spotlighting the unintended consequences of name, image, and likeness rights yep. today. Texas A&M coach Jimbo Fisher, who spent five seasons as Saban's offensive coordinator at LSU, did not hold back in his response. It's despicable that a reputable head coach could come out and say this when he doesn't get his way or things don't go his way. The narcissist in him doesn't allow those things to happen. And it's ridiculous, but when, when he's not on top, some people think they're God. Go dig into how God did his, his deal. You may find out about, about a guy that a lot of things you don't want to know. We built him up to be the czar of football. Go dig into his past or anybody that's ever coached with him. You can find out anything you want to find out, what he does and how he does it. And it's despicable. And I know the guy. Know him really well. Like that's about as scorched earth as you can possibly go on somewhere. Th this is where you go when it all falls down. When are you going? Yeah. When it, oh, what's falling down now is the facade of college football and these rich, powerful men at the top are now fighting tooth and nail on what they couldn't allow to happen in the public in the past because all of this money that is in name, image and likeness mm -hmm. was there before, but they were all cheating on it. So now that it's out in the open, they're going to sit here and throw absolute stones at each other. Yeah. And it could, it could be the beginning of the end of something very, very powerful because they just can't figure out how to share in it. Like LeBron was high school, it's not college, but he was driving a Range Rover and he was like 16, right? Yeah. And it's you can go to any university and find the same people yeah. doing the that same thing. wild. He went after him. I have a, there's a story from a small school, yeah. and I think it was a, a Hummer that LeBron was driving. I, I remember a small school that you would never believe where the same thing was happening. So imagine what happens at the big school. Unreal. We're done. That's your schedule tonight. Talk to you tomorrow.